let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the time in your word. As always, help us bend our knee before you and for what you say through your apostles. In your son's name, amen. Of course, on Father's Day, you go looking around for Father's Day sermons and and as is my usual thing, I come up with these really negative passages on Mother's Day or on Father's Day and lambaste the saints. Everybody goes away re- not rejoicing very much. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look for a Father's Day passage. I just looked for some Bible. And uh, I've been in a number of conversations recently, some with just great fellowship and some other times with uh, differing with somebody about the what's primary, what's what's unifying the saints. You and I don't agree. I mean, we I know that. I've talked to some of you. You hold completely wrong ideas. Who's the most wrong here? Let's see if I remember. Is it Ruby? Is it Norm? It's Lewis. It's Lewis. That's who it is. <laughs> Lewis and I are at odds. We need to know, and we, we gather together with, with something more important than our difference of opinion. Um, more important than our difference of opinion on our lives, in our minds, and we want to be, but we're an odd situation, and we want to have the same relationship with the believers of other fellowships here in town. But we sometimes don't know what it is we're talking about, and we need to always be finding what our assurance, what our, what the basis of things is, what's important. So in 1 John, starting around 3.18, I, I broke into the middle, or kind of the middle of an argument of St. John's about how you should love one another, and you're a part of John 3, 1 John 3. Um, But I wanted to start out with this phrase. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. Now that is something that 2,000 years later needs to be heard again. Because every Christian knows that we Christians talk about the love of God. Right? Every Christian knows that. For God so loved the world. We all know the word and the speech part. We get catechized in the word and speech part. And we're told explicitly not to love that way. And pastors are the worst. I mean, pastors are just... uh, Pastors get to talk about all sorts of godliness. And one of the biggest temptations in pastors is to believe because you taught it, you've done it. Now... We all have to deal with that to some degree or another. You probably, in a conversation, have, since you expounded once on love between the saints aggressively, you think you love. But John is wanting you to make a distinction, and so that this distinction is first existent in your mind, that word and speech exists as a distinction. And that is not what you're supposed to be doing. Not that it's wrong to say the word love, but... You're not supposed to love there. You're supposed to love over here, indeed, and in truth. Now, if the truth is, you know, when somebody says that's something in truth, that means they're talking about its actuality, the integrity of its claim of being. Not that it is a, a, a propositional truth. Could be an element of There's propositional truths in this passage. But John could be talking about indeed and in actuality. <laughs> That you love in what you do, and you and the love that you do is a real love. Or you also could be saying that the love that you do is rooted in a propositional fact. Now, the whole book of 1 John, if you haven't been through it recently or never, is about how to be sure that you're one of the Christians. Because if you're trying to be, one, if you're trying to be unified with other Christians, you want to be unified with others like you, 
And you want to be sure that what is like you is what God has said. This is the Christian. Later in the book, in um, John 5, 13, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The whole book is filled with comments about this is how you can be sure. This is how you know. And that's what he comes up in verse 19 here. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth. Because I've just told you to love in deed and truth. That we are of the truth. We're of the, whether it's propositional claim about Jesus Christ or the actuality of the propositional claim of Jesus Christ. We are looking to reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. We shall know and be reassured when we're condemned by our hearts. What in heaven's name? When, when you feel just absolutely rotten about what you just did, the one, of the, one of the things, and this is a realism of, of 1 John, when he says, I'm writing these things to you, my brethren, this is back in chapter 2, um, that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. John is a realist about what the Christian life includes. And we have two things that we were being told to be deed and truth, and one of the paths of knowing that we are of the truth and be reassured in that position in the truth is when our hearts condemn us. I know people that aren't when they ought to be. Their heart does not say a thing. They can be bastards at home. They can be all sorts of things at work. They can be difficult, always having emotional scenes with their friends, always getting bitter about stuff and never feel bad about it. It reassures your heart to know. Because you have two relationships with good deeds. You've heard of good deeds being good. You've heard, oh please, doing good to people. Then there's also not being good to people. Have you ever not been good to a person? Well, let's pretend you know somebody who might have not been good to a person. Those are the two relationships you have with good deeds. Doing it or not doing it. Right? You probably experienced both of those. For the Christian, your relationship with deed takes a back door through conviction of sin and God's condemnation because he is greater than your hearts. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts. He reassures you in your condemnation because he's greater than your condemnation and he knows everything. You have one, you have two relationships with good deeds, not doing it and doing it. When a Christian doesn't do it, God being greater than your heart in that condemnation drives you back to the grace of God for forgiveness. You stand in God's good deed either by the imputation of God's grace in Jesus Christ or you stand in it by not having done the bad thing. That's the next verse. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Of course you do. You've had those times in your life when you've been good. I recommend you do that again. Quit being bad. If I want to sum something up from this Father's Day sermon, just like your earthly father may have told you at one point, be good. That's the best relationship with deed. But these are the things that measure out whether or not you're of the truth in your deeds. Do, does both failing God and, and, and serving God both work out the way God wants it to work out. God bringing you back to his grace when you sin. And we receive from him whatever we ask. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 
That's the right relationship. That's the deed and truth that's most right. But even if you don't, even if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. He is greater than your hearts. But if you do sin and you never, you're just dragging your feet and you're don't say you're always making excuses and you're always justifying and your friends start getting together to talk about interventions because my heavens, you need to be straightened out. And I know some believers like that. I'm dealing with some situations, believers, and I'm put that in air quotes. They say they believe. But for them to know they're of the truth and to be reassured in their heart that their claim of believing in Jesus Christ, there has to be the condemnation of their heart when they've sinned. You're either, either going to be righteous or you're going to be confessing. Those are your two options with sin. Righteous or confessing. We want to be in the situation where we receive from him whatever we ask. Those are the people that get the ear of God in their prayers. Everybody turns to God when they have a need. You should be turning to God when you've been righteous. You have the ear of God then. We receive from him whatever we ask. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. God is somebody. God is not a concept nor a definition. He is not... Um, uh, the history of the church and everything that has been written about him. He is someone who has pleasure in you or displeasure in you. You can look through the New Testament all through it and find all the things that God suggests are displeasing to him. You want to please him. And so when you please him, he responds positively to you. If you keep his commandments. Oh, say, oh my gosh, I've seen the book of Moses. I've seen Leviticus. I don't want to... Oh no, it's not the book of Moses. It's not Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. That's the command in the new covenant. Believe in Jesus Christ. So it does come around to a propositional claim about Christ and a, and a love. The love, the love and truth or deed and truth, that's what we should be loving in. Our deeds should be uh, real righteousness or repentant unrighteousness. We, we, we demonstrate the goodness of God either in our goodness or in his grace to us when we fail. He has commanded us that we believe in his Son and love one another. All who keep his commandments abide in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. Another quality about the believer is not only is his relationship to evil, either not doing it or repentant when he does, it is also knowing what the commandment is. So that the person is, when I look at my righteousness, remember I said righteousness or repentant of unrighteousness? If I find some Christian who has all got his knickers in a twist about the law of Moses and trying to keep all the rules, and if anything, once he gets to the bottom of those, he starts making up his own rules. Now, that's not the kind of righteousness we're looking for. We're looking at the kind of righteousness that understands the commandment is this to believe in Jesus Christ and to love one another. That's what he commanded us. I have to, the new covenant, I have to go after the ethics of God via love or I've not done what he commanded I have not listened to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to bring this new covenant and, and it's, it's actualized through love. So if I don't get this worked out, if I don't get this worked out about loving in deed and in truth, I, I won't have Christianity worked out. I don't care if this is the best church you've ever seen or you go to another church that is the best church you've ever seen. If you don't get love worked out, what does it say in Corinthians? You could talk, speak with the tongue of men and of angels. 
You could deliver your body to be burned. If you have not love, you are nothing. This is our morality right here. So I need to meditate on this. I need to look at it and say, our Lord has commanded us to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ, and love each other. And that there's a spirit that you possess, there's a spirit you possess that's going to be, we assume, in agreement with that. The spirit, what does it talk about in Galatians? But fruit of the spirit, you've heard of those things? The fruit of the spirit. It says, and also in Romans, he who does not have the spirit of Christ does not have Christ. All these things are added together that the quality of the Christian life is either righteousness lived and the pleasure of God and him listening to your prayers, or your failure to keep those things alive morally about what you did, and repenting into the grace of God, and trusting in God's greater greatness above your heart that he's able to cleanse you. You're either being righteous or you're getting cleansed. And you have to have be defining what the righteousness is by the apostles here. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is in the first century. Didn't take long. You've heard me say before out of Acts where Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem. He says, some of you are going to become false teachers. He's talking to the pastors he trained in Ephesus for three years. They went to seminary. They went to Paul's seminary. And he knew that some of them would become false teachers. They go out into the world. Don't be some bohunkus that looks at Christian TV or radio or books that you buy at a Christian bookstore and think everything that is facing you is part of this that Christ has offered. There's a lot of legalists out there. There's a lot of charlatans. There are a lot of greedy men. He has this standard here. By this you know the Spirit of God. Remember the Spirit he's given us too. Don't believe every spirit, so be discerning about this. Just like you don't believe that people who talk about love in word and speech, but people who indeed in truth love. And that truth is the name of the Son of Jesus, uh, God, Jesus Christ, and that love that we have for one another. So you want to know what the Spirit is. We know that there are other categories of Spirit. But you know the Spirit of God. Every Spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now that's really not that hard. If, if that's the incantation, if that's the little you know, garlic you hold up to the vampires of garlic, does that work on vampires? I don't know. The cross, the silver bullets. I always felt better about the silver bullets. I didn't want the stake through the heart. You had to get up close. You have to sit on them. And they're usually going all crazy and stuff. You want to just shoot them. From about 100 yards. And I would recommend a whole magazine of silver bullets. Because you're going to mess. You're nervous the first time. This is not what you've been given here. This is not, can you say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Oh, sure, people say that all the time. People who don't believe in Jesus Christ can say that. People can believe that Jesus was a person in history. Some people deny it too, but some people are all too, all too fleshly. The whole Dan Brown thing, right? You know, angels and demons or the Da Vinci Code. They make Jesus all flesh and no God. But the problem is, the name of his son, Jesus Christ, that son, that name, come in the flesh. First century, second century, you had a problem with people who could not process true spirit being true material. Those were two worlds that couldn't be put together. Material was decayed, uh, contingent, changing, um, futile, rotting, wrong. 
And you had the other, the spirit, which was unchanging. They had their universe divided that way. They had their constructs that those two could not cross paths. They were called Gnostics. You've heard that word used before. And they had to have God, who was utter spirit. Even the God who made heaven and earth couldn't be the true God. He was the Demiurge, which is a great, a great name, great title, the Demiurge. Because he was a far more wicked God, far more evil, and he was able to create the world because of that. Otherwise, God couldn't be that close to material. And Jesus Christ had to be who knows how many emanations from God giving up spirit and taking on matter before he could even just physically appear to people. Even look like he was matter. These people had a real problem with the Son of God, God himself, coming in the flesh. That's what John's saying. John is, uh, had struggled with some of the proto-Gnostics in, in uh, Ephesus and in Asia Minor, various places. We have stories from some of John's disciples of John's running out of a bathhouse because um, there was a, this heretic, Serinthus, in there, and God, he, John was afraid that God was going to strike the baths. And so he comes running out in his towel. Um, probably a pretty old guy by that point. But. So this is, this is a real moment in, in John's mind. It's not an incantation. It's not the magic words that you get to say. Do you say, you're talking to some Mormon missionary, say, can you say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? And he says, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. His problem is a different question. His denial of Christ is a different denial. Same with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Same with all sorts of heresies. We're not coming up with an incantation. We're coming up with the idea that you have found God of gods living in Christ, dying for sin. And consequently, if I believe that, that's why people want to step away from this belief. That's why they want to have Jesus be a great teacher. Because even, I like C.S. Lewis a lot. Other people like Jesus. Great teacher, but I could disagree with C.S. Lewis, right? I could, comes down to it, C.S. Lewis doesn't like what I'm doing. Too bad for C.S. I'm doing what I want to do. Problem is, if God wants me to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and that God became a man, and that God died for my sins, it's not just a charming story in our Bible story books. It's not just the story you believe because you've got no other myth to occupy that space in your brain. If you say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, if that has meaning, if your belief compasses what John just said, you're of God. Because that's what faith is. We have taken on Jesus Christ and we have claimed to be his. We have claimed to be in a world which he, Colossians, made. And every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. Pretty simple. This is the spirit of dun, 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 Antichrist. You've heard of that guy, right? All the wrong ways, I'm sure. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Of which you heard that it was coming. Dun, 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 to get lightened up. It is now in the world already. This all comes down to Christ. This is what uh, Jake was reading. At the name of Jesus. They were, they were preaching, I was noticing as he was reading it, that here were the, it was Peter preaching Jesus Christ raised from the dead to the high priests, all of whom who were Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And he's just in your face. It's under his name, whom you killed, whom God raised. We've got to be ready to not 
Jesus Christ that we preach has a number of different places in his act that is at war with people who want to run their own lives. It comes down to that at the end. The Christ we preach and the apostles he gave authority to comes down to it that they're going to say some things that you don't want them to say because you've decided that your life had best be run with your attitudes and with your plans and your justifications. That is Antichrist. No, not Antichrist in the big, awful way. Not Antichrist in the way that says, you know, the 666 is going to get marked on you. By the way, there's no connection between 666 and the Antichrist in the Bible. This is where John's got the one with the word Antichrist. But it's Antichrist. A life that puts your plans, your ideas of the cosmos, and you choose yours over his, you are Antichrist. That's the spirit that's in the world. Little children, you are of God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So when it comes down to it, and one of the pleasures of being a follower of Jesus Christ, and I recommend it to you, is that you're right. And the benefit of being right is it start, that's what I tell people who like to want to get into debates. I said the first tip I would give you is pick the right position. Much easier to win the argument if you pick the right position. And Jesus Christ is greater in us than in whatever's in the world. We're talking of someone we're going to have some ministry to over the next bit and just saying childish things. They're trying to escape Christ, saying childish things. Well, I don't, I think the Bible was written by a bunch of men. Oh, did you hear that from a social professor? That deep reasoning? We have Christ. They are of the world, these false teachers, these false prophets, this false spirit. This Antichrist is of the world. That's what you're going to recognize in them. Therefore, what they say is of the world, because that's what they want to say. To be false, they're not going to tell you something, you know, manifestly untenable to people's desires. They will not succeed any more than Christianity will succeed if they do. They're going to tell you stuff you want to hear, stuff the world likes to hear. You see this slow march of famous Christians, you know, putting their finger in the wind and seeing which way should they talk about this. Because if the world is all for this now, I guess we've got to be for this. We've got to figure out a way of reading the Bible. Oh, what's his name? Campolo just did it. Tony Campolo. You have to be a little old school to remember him. You know, he, I didn't read any of his books, but he was a famous Christian. He just came out affirming the legitimacy of homosexual relationships. Not people being homosexual and struggling with the sin and, and staying out of sin regarding it, but the, of homosexuality accepted in the church. Tony Campolo, mainstream evangelical. He's of the world. What they say is of the world. And the world listens to them. You'll see all the newscasters running over to those kind of Christians who will say all the things the world wants them to say. You have to watch out on the other side, too. That's, that's, the, that's the liberalizing tendency. But then there are people who are saying what the American patriots want to say. They have a different world. They have a different set of fans. they got to keep pleased. We're not here to please man. We're here to please God in Christ. Sometimes what the Lord says is a great blessing to them. Sometimes it's a great condemnation. But whatever the case, we say what our Lord says. We are of God. Whoever knows God listens to us. And he who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. These are wonderful definitional plans for you to carry. So how do I know that I'm a believer? What does he recommend? What's the centerpiece of this truth? Jesus Christ come in the flesh. 
Love of the brethren, that's what the center is. And listening to the apostles. This is not every we. We don't get to read this passage and say, we are of God, we at all souls. And whoever listens to anybody at all souls, they're of God too. This is St. John writing. He's probably claiming the apostolic authority in this situation. That you listen to these false teachers, they're the Antichrist, they try to please the world, we're the ones sent by Christ. And if you listen to the apostles, don't get uppity. I know, like I was joking around earlier about getting around St. Paul. A lot of people have tried to get around St. Paul, or St. Peter, or St. James, or St. John. If you listen to them, he who is not of God does not listen to us. You'll know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Simple. Someone who says, well, I don't agree with St. Paul. Well, I, I, thank you. That tells me. Let me see. 1 John 4, uh, 6. Ta-da! I know who you are. You don't listen to the apostles. Simple. That's error. You listen to the apostles? It's the truth. And this apostle continues to teach us, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. This is why the instruction was, indeed and truth, folks. Love indeed and truth. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Simple equation. If God is love, and you don't love, you don't know God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. The two things he coupled, love one another, and he sent his Son into the world in the flesh, are coupled in that that is love, what God did. That he sent his Son to die for us. It's not theological statement over here about the incarnation. And it's probably good that you not call it the incarnation because what you're claiming, which it just means, that just means enfleshment, you know, carne, like carne asada. Okay? Carne means meat, flesh. So in enfleshment is what incarnation means. And it's much better to say, Jesus Christ has come as man, mortal man. That's what you mean. That is the love of God. That sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. If this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. You get the impression that God the Father... There, I said Father on Father's Day. God the Father seems to think that his key relationship with the world is what he's doing in himself and his son for you. What moved it is telling you a lot about your God. That love, you you did not deserve this, believe me. You deserved, not you, me, all of us, deserved annihilation. We deserved We were by nature children of wrath. Only the love of God, which was not based on lovableness, but on who he is, not what I was like. We're being pointed to that love. This is Christianity. This is where I should be standing. This is the forgiveness available to you when your heart condemns you. God greater than your hearts. His love is greater than your sin, and he will forgive you. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We start to look like God. And his love is perfected. Now, most of you, because you're in Christian circumstances and you're coming to a Christian church and you maybe have Christian family, 
you don't see anything in this story that you don't agree with. I mean, you've heard the story about Jesus being the Son of God and being born of the Virgin and being raised and then being crucified. Well, and again, that is believing the story. But there's a, there's a leap. There's a rational leap between believing the story and believing its fact. I many times can believe a story when I don't have a counter story to believe, when I don't have anything else that's demanding my faith at that spot. If I don't believe it's a fact, I'm trying to how would you illustrate this? Say I always my my uh, grandfather's name was. Uh, um, Lorraine and Leonard, Leonard Lorraine and um, due to some misunderstanding possibly with the law he went by Jack Williams and uh, what if I always believed his name was Leonard and, and somebody said and I, my grandma told me and uh, somebody says, his name was Jack Williams. I will kill you unless you agree with me. Well, I'd say, I'm open to that. I've, I've always held the story about my grandfather being X, but now that you brought my demise into it, now that you said, I'm going to kill you, I'm really willing to consider. Because I only believed a story. That was the story that I allowed myself to occupy my brain about my grandfather's name. But say you know something for a fact. Not a, not a story about your parentage or your family, but you know it. Say, I have a sister. And somebody said, you don't have a sister. No, I have a sister. She bugged me a lot. No, you don't have a sister. You have to deny that you have a sister. No way, because I have a sister. That's a fact. You know your relationship to a story and your relationship to a fact is different. We're talking faith as fact. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, enfleshed. Because of love, that's the fact. It's not the story we're telling. Too many Christian kids can tell the story. And you're still looking at them like, but they don't seem any different. It's because it's not a fact. It's just a story. They can chant it back to you because it's a chant, not a fact. When you have it as a fact that Jesus Christ is the love of God expressed to you, and it says here you ought to love one another, and God's love is perfected in you this way. I want to say amen and amen. By this we know that we abide in him. And he in us, because he has given us of his own spirit. He told you that back in verse 24 of chapter 3, by the spirit which he has given us, warned you about other spirits that could lead you back into worldliness, and then he reminds you of love and the work of God in Christ in love, and that's what the spirit that has been given us is testifying to. And we have seen, verse 14, and testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. When he says we have seen and testify, it's because he had seen and was testifying. Remember we covered the transfiguration of you? That John, this guy, was there. He was at the foot of the cross. He watched the Lord. He took responsibility for the Blessed Virgin Mary, who wasn't a virgin anymore, but let's just say Mary, to take care of her because Christ on the cross asked him, this is Jesus' best friend. He saw and he testified that the Father had sent his Son as Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. Do you know what that fact carries with it? 
I mean, can't stress it enough. Does that come across your lips as the catechism answer, or does that come across your lips as a fact you know, by which you live? There are people, and I always like to, you've heard me do this before, I equate it with gravity. There are people who don't know what gravity is, but they run everything in their life as if they understood every physical aspect of 32 feet per second squared. They walk downstairs, they put glasses full of milk on the counter, just with impunity. Just like, watch this, I'll put my lighter. Yes, the pastor has a lighter in his pocket. There it is. I didn't even think about it. I didn't have to think twice. I wasn't trying to do that. Because I believe that this is being sucked to the center of the earth and that pulpit got in the way. I didn't have to think about it. Watch me walk around. Now what is that? It's just a controlled fall, right? I just, I just know 32 feet per second squared. And I learned it when I was two. It's a fact. I live by it. There are some people who are so clumsy, it's looked like they have not, not even not thought about it, but they never learned it. The kind of person who can't tuck their shirt in, they can't walk straight, they can't not run, run into things. Don't you understand how the mass and everything works? We, those are not the kind of Christians you want to be. You want to say, the Spirit in me testifies to this truth, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That has, like, 32 feet per second squared. Everything in this room depends on you believing that right now. You cannot get out of this room efficiently if you don't. And believe me, the wreck that would happen if you got up in the next few minutes after I was done preaching, only after I'm done, disbelieving, not really thinking that 32 feet per second squared is the rule, it would be a laugh riot. We'd have a great time watching your life destroy itself. I just think the pews themselves, my gosh. How are you going to negotiate your way out of this? every movement, not really trusting that that was true. But how many people will get up out of their beds this morning, out of their churches this morning, and walk out the door, having just said that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and they don't believe it as fact. And their life goes to Hades in a handbasket because of it. Just like you walking out of the doors, not believing in gravity anymore, or really believing in it. God abides in him. If you, if you believe it, God abides in him. And he, and he in God. So we know and believe the love God has for us. When you say you know it, not you know the story, you know the fact. Believe it, not believe the story, believe the fact. The love God has for us. That's the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is where all the assurance comes in, folks. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I'm only about 70% sure. You want to be really sure? You want to have confidence? You have to abide in Christ and Christ in you. And this is love perfected with us. That's how you get there. It's faith. It's what you believe. You've got to examine what you do and don't believe. How you do and don't believe it. In this is love perfected with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because folks, it's coming. Because as he is, so we are in this world. Now, here's a misunderstanding passage coming up. He's just been telling you, back in verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. Who he is to us is our symbol of love, and because he loved that way, we love as well. And in this, verse 17, and this is love perfected with us. 
Twice he said, love perfected with us. Then he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. He just told you, perfecting yourself in love. It is not sappy, sentimental people devoting themselves to never fearing because if they were perfectly loving, fear, which is an awful thing, would be removed. Now, both are good. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And he who fears is not perfected in love. Why is he not perfected in love? Because he's going to get punished. You fear because of punishment. We love because he first loved us. So if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Perfect love Perfect love has to do with keeping the commandments of God. And the commandments of God, as it said back earlier, where was it? Oh, this is his commandment, chapter 3, verse 23, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That's the commandment. Keeping that commandment. That is the perfecting of love. If you keep the commandment, you will not fear because you will not be under punishment. God is not going to judge you when you're obedient. What else can we learn here by verse 20? You say you love God and hate your brother. Oh, because we're much better at disobeying verse 18 of chapter 3. We're much better as a church in loving God in word and speech. Oh, because everybody wants to stop the sex trade in Darfur, if there is one. Or the, or, 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 uh, the Hutus killing the Tutsis, wherever they're killing them. Or what else is going on bad in the world? Well, I think it's nice to do things for people. But everybody wants to talk about love that's not face-to-face. Like in your house. I've overquoted P.J. O'Rourke on this. Everybody wants to save the world, but no one wants to help mom do the dishes. Everybody wants to love at a distance. You can't love God whom you have not seen if you haven't loved your brother whom you have seen. There's the test. You get to move from small to big. Immediate to distant. You don't get to claim distant loves when you don't love that which is close on the basis of having seen it your own household your own wife your own husband your own children your siblings that's probably the worst christian homes brothers and sisters i had a sister women are evil no exceptions many are crazy is that phrase out of Green Mantle by John Button? She was mad and bad, mostly bad. <laughs> now my sister is actually a righteous woman. My mother was a righteous But I, as a young man, did not think that. And you could always abuse your sister. Or other close people. We shut the door behind us thinking that I don't have to be a Christian yet. I'm not outside. You're a liar, is what John's getting to, if you say you love God and hate your brother. And this is the commandment we have for him, that he who loves God should love his brother also. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. Again, it's not a, the words you use, it's not Jesus, say the words Jesus is Christ or Jesus is Lord. 
It's the fact versus the story. It's the fact versus the incantation. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. This is a circular thing. You can't claim to love God if you don't love your brother. You can't be loving your brother without loving God. Because it's the love of God, it's the imitation of God and his love for us that gives me to my brother. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And he finally gets around to it. The new covenant is not the Mosaic law. Because that is burdensome. Even the apostles said so. Make a burden for them worse than that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. Jesus Christ says, believe that I am the Son of God. Come in the flesh. And love one another. That's not burdensome. And it's our faith that overcomes the option. It overcomes the world. The world that wants to have a different teaching. The world that wants to have, that supports all the false teaching. You want to overcome that? You want to have this be your Christianity? Your faith is what you've got to be examining. Not the faith, not whether or not you go to a church that is orthodox enough or that gave you a statement of faith. It's how and what you're believing, you yourself. What do you believe is true? Who is it that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's where it all begins. Faith, that which we believe, remember the life proceeds from it. Faith without works is dead. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. What do you believe, how you act, how you love, declares very loudly what you believe. If you don't love your brother and sister, if you do not love those you have seen, Given all sorts of wonderful rules here. It tells you what the nature of this thing in our, in our belief is. How is it touching us? Are you the kind of Christian that overcomes the world? You've read probably Christian biographies or heard of people that you just are amazed by. I wish, that maybe, I, wish I could have a Christian life like that. This is what it's rooted in. They overcame the world because they believed that Jesus is the Son of God. And you know there's a difference between the whole church of Christendom believing that Jesus is the Son of God and you believing Jesus is the Son of God. There's two different worlds. Make sure you know what the difference is. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the love we have because of your Son's love for us. And the walk we have through this world because we have believed him and in him as that which has truly happened that has called us to this love and called us to this righteousness. Give us that confidence, give us that joy and that uh, pleasure of having done what was right. If any of us have done that which was wrong, Lord, convict, bring us to repentance that we might be rejoicing in our reassurance. And in your Son's name we pray. Amen.